Welcome, Wanderer. You have found your way to the corner of Story and Game, a podcast tucked into the intersection of fiction, gaming, performance arts, and more. Here, we sit down with directors, writers, designers, voice actors, and all kinds of people to talk about the power of storytelling and the craft of writing. I'm your host, Gerald Ford, and this week our table is graced by Joshua Rubin. Joshua is an interactive Emmy-winning writer, producer, director, and veteran of the entertainment industry with 20 years of experience in film, TV, video games, and XR. Joshua is best known for co-writing Assassin's Creed 2 and for his work as a part of the core creative team at Bungie, responsible for building the world of destiny. Recently, Joshua was lead writer on Outriders, a AAA shooter from People Can Fly and Square Enix. He is also the Chief Creative Officer at Subverse Narrative Consulting, working with studios and experience makers around the world. Joshua, thank you for stopping by. Absolutely. It's so good to be here. Thank you for all the time it took to arrange this. <laughs> no problem at all. Busy, busy. <laughs> uh, before we dive into talking about craft, can we just quickly touch on your journey into the world of writing and gaming and game design? Sure. I never aimed to be a game writer. I wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to be uh, James Cameron or Spielberg. I had a Spielberg poster on my wall when I was a kid. And I was in Hollywood for 10 years trying to be a filmmaker without getting anything made. Mm. Um, kind of a classic Hollywood story. Yeah. I supported myself. I did a lot of rewrites and wrote a lot of films. Oh, nice. I first got there um, because I won the Nickel Fellowship, uh, kind of a, a classic you know, mm -hmm. contest put on by the Academy Awards for Best Unproduced Screenplay. So that got me out there and started me. But um, it wasn't until about 10 years in when I got a call from a guy I had written a screenplay for for free at the beginning of my career who said, I've become a game writer and I'm in the middle of writing a game that's six months from ship and we don't have a script. And you're the only writer I've ever liked working with. Wow. Would you, would you be willing to come write this game with me essentially? And um, at this point I hadn't played a video game in like 10 years because I always thought I can't be a screenwriter and have a PlayStation. <laughs> and so, so I said, what's the game? And he said, Assassin's Creed two. And I said, what's that? And he said, Oh, come on, go ask a 12 year old. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I literally, he made me call my 12 year old cousin who I said, you know what this game was. And he was like, holy fucking shit. And I was like, <laughs> ah, okay. So, so this is a good thing. A big deal. Yeah. And um, that was the moment where, you know, I got to go out and buy a PlayStation and tell my wife it was for work, nice. which was one of the great moments of my life. And that kind of started my career into games. It was a very lucky, very auspicious way to start in games. Yeah, that's a fantastic way, especially with such a big, big title right out of the gate. But between then and now, you've been to a lot of different studios, worked on a lot of different titles, and you've hit a couple major milestones along the way. I have, yeah. I've been, you know, very, very fortunate in this career, especially for someone who stumbled into it. Yeah, I went from there to Bungie, where mm -hmm. I got to help create Destiny, um, and from there to Telltale, where I got to work on Walking Dead and Game of Thrones and really learn that incredible art of branching, which is so complex and so interesting. And they really were the best at it at the time. Mm -hmm. And from there, I, I went off um, kind of in two directions simultaneously. On one hand, I started doing VR and making all of these kind of really interesting VR projects, fascinated by what you can do with um, exper experimental and experiential storytelling. Mm -hmm. 
And at the same time, simultaneously, I started a consulting company called Subverse Narrative Consulting and have worked with studios all over the world, running writing teams on small indie games that I've brought kind of AAA experience to and working with, you know, AAA studios as well from Outriders to with People Can Fly to a, a Just Cause mobile game that unfortunately I think is not going to come out in the end. Mm. But I spent years on that and, you know, quite all this kind of games of various shapes and sizes and genres. And uh, yeah, it's been quite a ride. It's really fun. Very, very cool. You've already mentioned that moment when your friend called you up and and said, hey, I want you to to do this with me. Along the way, were there any other, what we like to call crossing the threshold moments? Were there any moments where life could have went one way, but it went this way instead? And you, can you look back and see one of those moments? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, because after Assassin's Creed 2 came out and it was, you know, the biggest game in the world and it, you know, I went to my agent in Hollywood and I said, you know, I've worked on this game that made more money than Avatar this year. You know, is this going to help my film career? And he said, no, nobody in Hollywood cares. And so I, I had to figure out, well, what do I what do I do with this? You know, credit. I have this credit and I have no idea what it means and what to do. Yeah. And I ended up getting nominated for a WGA award for best game writing and was on a panel with Amy Hennig from Naughty Dog. Mm -hmm. And she and I kind of hit it off and she kind of took me under her wing and kind of mentored me in in an amazing way that, you know, I'll, I'll forever be thankful for. And she's the one who really guided me and said, if you want to have a game career, you have to go to GDC. Hmm. You have to go to the game designer conference, game developer conference, and talk to people, meet people, learn about game writing, because it is an entirely different art form than, than linear storytelling. Right. And so going to GDC was kind of mind-blowing and, and eye-opening for me, where I really realized, you know, at nearly 40 years old, there's an entire new way of writing to learn here that isn't just about character and catharsis, but it's about player agency and and branching storytelling and environmental storytelling and so many more ways and tools to tell story with. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I was also writing a TV show and, um, and uh, for the sci-fi channel, it was a pilot that I had sold to them. And I had this moment where um, I had the pilot at sci-fi and then I got offered the job at Bungie. Oh, wow. Um, through contacts that I had made at GDC and, and I thought, what the hell do I do? Which way is my career going to go here? And, and my wife played a big role in it because she, A, we had a one-year-old daughter and, she, and her father had been a TV writer. Mm-hmm. He had written, you know, back in the day, um, Mission Impossible and, you know, Murder, She Wrote and Dynasty and oh, wow. kind of classics. And, yeah. you know, and, she's, and she knew how hard the life of a TV writer was, how unstable it was. And here was Bungie, which was in an office building, you know, like, you know, with this nine to five job. And I, at you know, age 40 had never had a nine to five job in my life, but this was a kind of stability. It looked like it, at Mm. least it was the illusion of stability. (laughs) And there was also the excitement of moving to Seattle and doing something totally new. And so, so I chose video games. Nice. And we took off and went to Seattle and I did find myself at age 40 with a new baby, a house in the suburbs and a nine to five job. And I thought, okay, I guess I'm a fucking adult now. (laughs) That's an interesting way to end up there. You just kind of wandered in. Exactly. 
You mentioned the role that uh, Amy played. Is it important to find a mentor? I think that you are very lucky if you can find a mentor. I don't think our industry is set up for it. Gotcha. I think that the the one way that it is, is that it has a very tiered system of, of jobs, mm-hmm. right? You come in as a junior writer, you work your way up to writer, then senior writer, then lead writer, then narrative director. And so there's always someone above you. Mm-hmm. And, and if they're good at what they do, you can learn a lot. Honestly, if they're very bad at what they do, you can learn a lot. <laughs> You know, I've definitely been very lucky and had, you know, some lead writers, you know, when I was younger who took me under their wing and, you know, and said, this is why what you're doing is terrible. (laughs) And this is what you're not looking at. And this is what you need to think about. And I've had some who've been very instructive and I've had others who've just fired me and said, you don't know what you're doing. Hmm. But from every one of those jobs I've learned, and I think a lot of it too, it was difficult for me starting at 40 in a new industry. Mm-hmm. And feeling like I had already gotten really far in film. And even though I never had anything made, <laughs> I had been, you know, working my way up for 10 years and suddenly I was starting all over again. And mm-hmm. that was tough. And kind of being at the very bottom of the pecking order in AAA was very, I hate to say soul crushing, but difficult. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was because so much of the way that writing in, is done in AAA feels like you're throwing your creativity into the meat grinder Hmm. because it is about iteration. It's about try it, throw it away, try it, throw it away, try it, throw it away. Right. That because that's the way game development is done. And so writing follows that suit. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I will say I, I, at Bungie in those first years, it was really, really hard. And, and then my, my dad told me a story and, and I'll share it. My dad is a is a Buddhist, and he told me I think the story of Milarepa, this Buddhist fable about a teacher. I don't remember if Milarepa is the teacher or the student, but <laughs> let's let's assume he's the student. And uh-huh. his teacher, you know, said, "I want you to go out into the woods for me and build me the most beautiful, incredible house you've ever could imagine." And he goes out and he puts all his soul and heart and creativity into this house. And then the master says, no, this is terrible and burns it down, says, build me another. And he builds it again, says, this time I'll make it better. And he really does it. And the master again says, no, this is a piece of shit and burns it down. Hmm. And this goes on and on until eventually the master's wife says, you realize he's never going to be satisfied with any house because it's not about the house. He's teaching you to be creative for creativity's sake. And... I don't know if that's the words in the Buddhist fable, but that's certainly what I took away from it was this idea that, you know, it's really about the process itself. And, and I will say, you know, however many years on this is since, since that time, the more I think about kind of what is the meaning of life? Why are we doing any of this? And I think about, well, you know, for myself, I, I, I love being creative and I know there are these things in me, these stories I want to tell you know, before I dive so mm-hmm. that I feel like I've done something meaningful with my life. And then I think, well, but you're going to die anyway. So what's the point of any of these stories? And, you know, and and I think, well, I guess what I love really is just writing. I love solving creative problems. I love, you know, c- coming up with characters and dramas. And, and then does it really matter if I'm writing my own work or someone else's work in the end? Not really. 
because it's not about what you leave behind. It's about the moments that you spend, how you live your life. And, and so, you know, I kind of, I feel very grateful every day now that I get to be creative no matter what I'm writing. That is a very, I, I want to say Zen approach to the life of an artist. I like it. I, th I think I went far off from your mentorship question, but that's all right. Let's just wander around. I'm, <laughs> you did you, you did kind of spark something in my brain, though. You mentioned, and I've heard it before several times, the the writers' room at a game a studio, sitting around throwing ideas into the meat grinder, like you say. But then I've talked to people who've worked in television or film, and there is there are writer rooms there where they sit around and collaborate in a similar fashion. Did you get a chance to experience that part of Hollywood? Have you ever worked in a writer's room where you're throwing ideas into the meat grinder there as well? And is there a big difference between the two? Like there isn't a big difference. No, it's the same process. It's, it's people working together into a, in a room, trying to imagine something that doesn't exist yeah. into reality. And it's incredible. I mean, I kind of, I, there's this image that I have, that it's sort of like these people all around a table and they're all looking at this invisible floating castle in between them, trying to describe it to mm. each other and by <laughs> slowly building it through words. Oh, I love that. Sounds kind of like sitting around playing D&D. &D. Yes. <laughs> it's so it is so much like that. Yeah. It's so much like that. It literally is a D&D &D for our career. <laughs> okay, now I'm even more jealous. Okay, so... Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> if you could reach back through time and offer one single nugget of wisdom, one piece of advice to the young Joshua before he started out on this journey, what would mm. you tell him? Probably when I had been young and wanted to be a filmmaker, I wish I could have told myself to work as hard as I eventually worked as a game writer because I didn't have that fire under my ass yet. I, I was, you know, which, you know, I was very much about exploring life and getting into trouble and pushing at the edges of experience to see what it was possible of. And I think part of it too, is that I had heard a astrology reading my dad had, had made for me when I was a baby yeah. that had recorded on this audio tape. And I was like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to have anything spoiled. But then one day I remember being in my apartment in my early twenties and I found this tape. I was like, well, I'll just put it on and see what it is. And the first thing that I heard was that my career would not start until I was 30. Hmm. And I turned it off. I was like, I don't want to hear that. That's too much information. But as a result, I didn't really do anything in my twenties yeah. because I thought, well, my career is going to start <laughs> in my thirties and that'll be fine. And, um, I, I worked very, very slowly. And in the end, my career did kind of start at 30 because that was the year the Nickel Fellowship Award happened. So right. I probably should listen to the rest of that tape one day. <laughs> There's a season for everything in life, right? Maybe you needed those 20s to gather experience so that someday you could use them for writing. I'm sure you've, you've experienced things that now become fodder for the for the creative fires. I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's got to be. I will say when I was 16 or 17, I wanted to go to film school. I wanted to go to NYU. Mm -hmm. And my dad, who had gone to NYU film school, talked me out of it. He said, if you go to film school, you'll just end up making movies about other movies. 
You got to go out and live life. You got to get a, a liberal arts education to learn history and art. You've got to know more. Right. Oh, that makes perfect sense. It was great advice, except for the fact that I ended up not making any movies. <laughs> but you made some really good games and you have lots more ahead of you. So cheers. As a child, did you play a lot of games like video games, board games, Dungeons and Dragons, tabletop games? Was there any that stand out for you? that impacted the storyteller you would become? Yeah, I played Dun Dungeons and Dragons like crazy. I was obsessed with Gary Gygax and TSR and all of the early D&D. &D. Yeah. I had a had an, an Atari and was obsessed with Pitfall, which was the most story-like game. Yeah. If you remember it, I don't know. Oh, I do. Pitfall you couldn't save. There was no save. And so you the only way to get to the end was to not fail. And to play over and over. And I just remember one day sitting on the floor, the tile floor of, of where the TV was playing this game. And my parents were trying to get me to stop. And I had made it to like near the end. And I was like, shut up, leave me alone. <laughs> I can do this. I can do this. And I and I, I don't remember if I made it to the end or not. But I remember feeling like this incredible sense of like, you know, just completion. And of, I've, I've done something amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, I lived an adventure, you know, the yep. intensity of that, of that possibility to have to fail and start all over again was very immersive. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, that's what hooks us right at the beginning. Okay. So you're like, you've mentioned already, your roots are not actually in video games, but in television, the film industry, entertainment industry. What would you say are some of the top skills you learned in those 10 years in Hollywood working in that industry that you can now use day to day as a writer in video games? I mean, so many of the classic storytelling tropes and structure mm -hmm. of, of classical storytelling is often what is missing from video games where the story doesn't work. And so being able to both understand video game important writing techniques like player agency, mix that with three-act structure and character arc and pacing of scenes, starting a scene in the middle, ending it before it's over, leading you into the next one. Mm -hmm. Mystery hooks, the importance of mystery hooks to pull you forward. I mean, that's something, you know, goes back to, you know, J.J. Abrams and his mystery box with Lost. Yep. You know, it's it, the mystery hooks is how you get a player to stay interested in the game once the mechanics are mastered and the and you know and you've you've gotten everything except the um bonuses it's it's the story that's going to keep pulling you forward it's the wanting to know what happens next right. and that that comes right from classic storytelling very cool when you compare <laughs> games to films or television what is the most challenging part of this interactive experience as opposed to a that's very easy player agency okay is really fucking hard a story <laughs> when you have no idea what your main character is gonna do right i mean i remember when i first started at telltale you know doing branching story and i had this realization like wait a second we've been taught that story is what character does right and now the character can take multiple different paths to the story. What is the story? What is it thematically? What are you saying? Mm -hmm. How do you even know what the story is about anymore? 
So I would say that, you know, that's something that Telltale solved really well with this idea of rails that character has when the branches go through a story, certain ways that that character is going to deal with their problems Mm -hmm. and their personality by gravitating toward one of two or three different parts of their personality that they want to express and that players are going to want to role play as them. And by choosing more or less of one path or another, you do build a theme. Mm-hmm. And that and that by the time you get to the end of a game, even with multiple branching stories that could happen, there is a theme that has come through that game based on the choices that that character has made. And by the time you get to the end there and you've chosen a branch based on the choices you made along the way, can that actually change the purpose of the story some stories are told for catharsis some can be told for elation or or illumination can you actually create a game where you have totally different purposes based on choices made throughout the game i don't know about purposes but definitely in themes right in terms of what is the game about what mm-hmm. is the experience are you are you getting to an ending that is that is heartwarming and uplifting or are you getting to an Amy a game ending that is dark and nihilistic you can have both in the same game world in the same experience Hmm. if you allow for that right does that make for a good game well it has to work so that each of those paths are as cathartic and interesting and compelling as the other if you make one that is the right ending and one that is the wrong ending you know, I don't think you're going to be very happy as a player if you're getting punished for the choices you made. You have to, as a storyteller, be able to give players a possibility space to play in and and role play who they want to be, who they are. Nice. So that's talking about the stories that are are baked right into the like written into the game. What's your opinion on organic stories that evolve outside of the game space? What is your thought on those, and how can writers create space for those to happen Hmm. i mean i think procedurally procedural story Mm -hmm. that kind of you know happens organically is is um something that is outside of the art form of story of telling in games right it's something that that comes from the design and from the experience but what you can give people to have that story experience is the pieces right you give them the story elements and um you know I, i've always liked this idea of story magnets hmm. that that there are kind of pieces in the game world that are going to draw you to them whether it's big beanie in the distance that you're curious to know what it is and you're going to go on an adventure to see what that thing is right or um, an object that you found in the game that has a compelling backstory that you want to know more about and then you find another thing then the stories connect and you're like oh i know something deeper about this world now mm-hmm. and i think that you can give players these pieces of story that then they can piece together on their own and create their own story out of them without having to tell them a story. Nice. And that creates a richer experience for them. I'll tell you this, this here's a, here's a wonderful bit. Just the fact that destiny, when it came out, had a very broken story Mm -hmm. as, as everybody knows, it was a game that 
I think everyone knows the mythology that it had developed with Joe Staten at the lead, uh, an entire linear story uh, with, you know, 90 minutes of cutscenes that we had, you know, shot and animated and it was really good. So that, that game got thrown away six months before ship. It was decided there's, this is going to be a nonlinear game. Hmm. And, and all of the writers were moved off the game and all of the pieces were kind of jumbled together and kind of thrown into something new very quickly. Mm-hmm. What's fascinating is that despite that happening, the years of world building that we had done on that game were still there. They just weren't being told to you as a story. And so the players started finding these nuggets, these pieces, these story magnets, the dead ghosts, what have you, and piecing it together on their own. And that became part of the game. The piecing together of the lost story became a a story that the players played together. And I love that. I love that that was completely unintended, or maybe it was, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but that, that's fascinating yeah no the the hunting of lore and the piecing together of lore in destiny one was you're 100 right it was a big part of the community all right i have a tough question that i like to ask the only reason i ask it is because the bit of wisdom we might get from it it can help the next generation coming up and the question is what would you say is the biggest failure or challenge or obstacle that you faced in your career path and what did you learn from that experience Hmm. Wow. I mean, that's not something anybody likes to talk about, right? No. And you can definitely say no, thank you. And I'll move right along. Well, I think it's important. And I, then it's just a question of how honest I can be. All right. I'll, I'll tell this story because I think it's been a really important lesson for me recently. Okay. So there was a game I worked on. I probably shouldn't name it. I was, I was lead writer on a big game. And I would say that the disappointment to the failure is that I didn't give it my all. And it's maybe it's a very simple thing, but I didn't take it seriously. It was a job that I got when I had first started my consulting company and therefore was working on a lot of different games. And it kind of moved from a consulting job into a lead writer job over time. And then it kind of just went on and on. And suddenly I found I'd been there a long time, but I was always doing other things. And I will say that when the game came out, I liked it mm-hmm. a lot. Um, but then the reviews did not. And as I read the reviews, I found that I agreed with most of them. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, 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 that's true. That's all true. And I realized, well, if I knew that, why didn't I do anything? And I kind of realized, well, I hadn't fought enough. I hadn't fought for my ideas enough. I had kind of just been there as a as a craft job. I was doing the work of a yeoman mm-hmm. and I was doing what was told to the best of my ability, but I didn't fight for ideas. I didn't fight for it to make it great. And I realized, you know, the lesson that I took away from that was every time you're up to bat, is yours. Mm -hmm. If it's in front of you, it is your opportunity to make something great. It does not have to be just a job. It never has to be you're just doing the work for the paycheck. Anytime you have a potential to reach an audience, you have an opportunity to put something 
personal, something great to try to make art out of it. And it's really, it's really changed the way that I work and the way that I approach every job that I've had since then. Thank you for that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's flip it back to the positive and make it happy again. What is the best compliment you've ever received for any of your work? It's funny. The answer that's coming to me is not something anybody said, but I remember the first time I watched somebody on Twitch play one of my games that I had written. And it's a narrative. It was a narrative game. Uh, it was a, it was my first Telltale game, mm-hmm. a Game of Thrones game. And, and I just turned on a Twitch where somebody was at a choice that I had written that I knew was a throwaway choice mm-hmm. that was going to lead to a laugh. And it was a choice, you know, I think... Um, you know, the, the someone you think is the bad guy, but is actually a Lando Calrissian type has got you up against the wall with a knife. And he's like, you have a choice. I can cut off your balls or cut off your tongue. <laughs> and this girl was playing it was in a moment of terror. She was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And she was so emotionally engaged and so caught up and so deeply immersed in that moment that when he was like, oh, I'm just kidding you after she had, ma- he had made the choice. And he yeah. was like, great to see you, old friend, and hugged him. You know, that she was like that, <gasps> that elation and relief was so huge. And it was like, you know, when you write something for film or TV, you never get to sit in the audience, facing your audience, watching their faces. And right. on Twitch, you do. That's cool. On Twitch, you do. And that, that, that is, you know, that moment was the most satisfying moment of game writing I've had. Wild. Okay, let's dig into a little more craft here stuff. Let's talk craft. Your position at Subverse is creative chief creative officer, um, but you work as an interactive narrative consultant. Mm-hmm. So when you're brought in to, to help out with a developing game, what do you look at first? Where, walk me through that. It sounds like a really interesting position, role, job. So much of what I do is work with creative teams to help them improve what they have and to better tell the story that they're trying to tell. So I will go in and I will ask questions like, is the story that you think your game is telling actually coming through to your players? Is the game booking players with mystery that pulls them in, or is it just dumping exposition on them? Is there a main character who, players want to inhabit and care about what happens to them and if they achieve their goals or is your main player player character unlikable right you know like there's classic save the cat lessons you can bring into even the most small video game yeah you can look at mission structure and think about are you being sure that you're engaging your players with new mysteries with each mission Played so that you leave them wanting to know what happens next as the core loop becomes repetitive. And is the game using all of the affordances that your mechanics offer to convey story? Mm-hmm. And does your game have an ending that's worth reaching, that is both surprising and inevitable? Does it bring you somewhere that makes sense and that you want to be, and yet that you never saw it going? Mm-hmm. There's so much that happens with game design where story becomes an afterthought, even when it's core to the experience, right? Because it's constantly in balance with gameplay. 
And so what I love to do, even though I come in at different times and different places in the process of development, Mm -hmm. I love coming in when a game is really far along and the, the mechanics are locked in and the missions are locked in. And then story is like puzzle pieces. And it's like trying to figure out how to move the story around the existing game so that it supports what's there and it's and the, and the game supports the story. And that kind of creative challenge is just one of my favorite methodologies. It's something I'd love to see the way that story can change the meaning of the gameplay as you play. That's incredible. So let's talk about dialogue. I love dialogue. Dialogue's so much fun. Well, first of all, what do you think is uh, a couple key elements of writing good dialogue? Grounded, realistic characters that world build as they speak Mm -hmm. that are not just saying words, but the words are emblematic of the of the place that you have built around them for them to be in. And that dialogue for me has to be deeply specific. I want I want those characters to be unique, interesting, compelling, specific. I want the way that they talk to surprise me, for them to come up with turns of phrase that a person I, I know has never said before that are weird and interesting and 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 specific is really important to me. Nice. I want I want dialogue that feels lived in, that feels like these characters have known each other if they're characters that have known each other, mm. that, you know, that these, I want, I want to hear dialogue that is telling me as much about the characters from the way they're speaking as from what they're saying. Yeah. So from a technical craft point of view, are there tools that you recommend or that you like to use when it comes to fleshing out those characters so that you can really get inside their heads? So when you're writing dialogue, you know, all these things and you, you sense it, or is it just something you do intuitively? Yeah, it's it's just comes from reading a lot, watching a lot of movies, listening to people speak. Yeah. I don't I don't think there's there's a key to it mm-hmm. except your own bullshit detector. <laughs> Perfect. There we go. Right? Yeah, no. <laughs> because because when you listen to generic dialogue, you know it. Yeah. And and when you listen to dialogue by characters that don't feel real and grounded, you're you you float away. You don't you stop paying attention. You want to hit X to skip. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. There's your, there's your litmus test right there. On the topic of dialogue, I've been told by others that when it comes to making choices in like role-playing games, uh, dialogue choices, it's important that there be consequences for those choices, no matter how small or irrelevant it seems. How important do you think that is? Is that a big issue? Absolutely. Deeply important. If a player doesn't feel that their choices have any weight or meaning, they'll stop caring. The choices that you make in a branching narrative are the gameplay. So whether you, if you're in a call of duty and you choose to play defensively or offensively, it's going to change your game. So if you go into a role-playing situation and your strategy, you know, and you're given a strategy to play and it has no effect on the outcome, it's deeply uh, unexciting. So and even if the choice is here's a hey you're in a bar here's a glass do you do you drink or not mm-hmm. you're often given that choice and it, it it and if it's just do you drink or not and that's it and nothing happens yeah then it's just a drinking simulator <laughs> <laughs> but but if it's you know oh 
well, this character actually has a, a, a drinking problem in their history or a rage problem if they drink too much, mm-hmm. or they actually are looking for a weapon to smash over this person's head, then that choice is a lot different. So I don't know who would argue the opposite, no. that the the consequences are not always important. But I will say I've come into so many games with branching narratives where the choices are not being respected by the game where you're given a choice to do a or b and if you do a it goes forward and if you do b it says well you don't really want to do that and goes back to a anyway so often that happens because it's it's a lot cheaper and it makes you feel like you pushed a button to do something right but it's pointless and i suppose that's kind of why i still bring that question up even though i've heard the answer a couple times is because you still see it like it's still being done so I mean, I would also go further to say that that writing branching narrative is hard. Mm. It's really hard. And it, it is an art that takes time to learn. And it you have to, to study it and you have to really spend time doing it because it doesn't come easily. And it's very easy to do badly. And I don't think it's because anyone is untalented. It's just that you have to see it not work a number of times and you have to be simultaneously playing from the designer's point of view where you're looking down at the map of choices and thinking that looks cool. Also simultaneously in the point of view of the player who is only seeing one branch and is being told a story and having an experience. And that, that is hard. That's really complex to do. And the key for people who are trying to break in and need to learn this is to just Play a lot of branching games with your bullshit detector on and write notes about what works and what doesn't work and why. Then go back and watch the games on YouTube to see choices that other people made to see where it, where it worked, where the design was actually working, where your choices were meaningful and where they weren't and figure out how it worked. Mm -hmm. Break it apart. Good advice. I'm going to nerd out a little bit for a second here. Destiny, Destiny (laughs) 1. I understand you were responsible for hiding all those damn dead ghosts everywhere. (laughs) That was me. Because I spent a lot of time looking for those things. (laughs) I'm so pleased. (laughs) I I had so much fun doing that. Yeah. So the story behind that is that it happened after the point where the the game story had been thrown away and the writers had kind of been pushed aside. Mm. But we were still there. And, you know, trying to figure out what to do next. And um, I kind of discovered that there had been this idea pitched for dead ghosts that no one had done. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this will be my project. This is what I'm going to take on. And there was no one doing it. So I just took over and put together a team of designers and artists and badgered a lot of people to get the the art and to see you know those ghosts when you found them and they came alive with this beautiful animation that you know i was very very picky about what that looked like and um and then bringing writers on and and working with all the writers and it was an amazing experience because when it felt like you know my role on that game had died i was able to then create a new role for myself and that was an important lesson to create my own my own realm within this larger world and and i think you know kind of the the the, the cherry on on the cake was that i got to then actually go and hide all of the ghosts and that was the closest moment i've had to being a 5 year old 
getting, you know, in the video game career I've had was spending weeks running around finding hiding places throughout throughout the world of destiny on all these planets. It's the same pleasure I get now putting scavenger hunts together for my kids on Easter. Nice. It, it was so fun. And I'm so glad that you got to have fun exploring. In a weird way, you're part of my gaming life. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so still talking about world building, specifically Outriders. Outriders has some really compelling world building going on there. Whether you're talking about the story behind the colony ships or uh, Enoch and the Anomalies, what's your personal approach when it comes to world building? Are you, do you start big and we'll come work small? Do you start small, work big? How do you mm. come at it? I think everybody is different. Uh, my own particular technique is just instinctual, which is that I start big. Nice. I start, I start with big ideas. I see time periods. I see histories. I think, you know, it comes from my liberal arts education and looking at the way epochs affect each other. I always start with the, the world and slowly move my way down to character. Nice. The characters who live in that world. Plenty of people will tell a story from the character's point of view and build the world out. To me, if I don't know where that character lives, where they're going, I don't know what the story is. To me, I need to, to imagine the world to life around them first mm-hmm. and give them a playground to play in. Yes. How do you make sure a world is compelling? Because we've seen a, hundreds of worlds in the last 30 years come and go. What's the secret sauce there? Sometimes I think it's about a high concept idea that makes it unique, Mm -hmm. that makes it instantly memorable. Sometimes it's about a really good mystery at the core, um, something that just sinks its teeth into you and you you want to solve, you want to know what that is. And I think, again, like I was saying before, with character, with world, it's specificity. What is unique about this world that, because there's so many generic worlds, there's so much world building that is like, okay, let's take a little Blade Runner and mix it with a little... Uh, as an author, what have you. And, you know, not that actually that would be kind of interesting. <laughs> <Another> um, <laughs> but, but as much as possible, the voice in my head is always going to be, okay, I've seen that before. How can I make it different? Mm-hmm. What's going to be unique about this take? And then that's in the mouth. Oh, well, what if, and the what if is where I get excited. And when, when I get goosebumps, mm-hmm. I know that I've, I found something that is new. Right. And and putting something new into the world is always really important to me. You touch on on something uh, I've read. Ira Glass, I think, said something once about a taste in developing artistic skills. You keep talking about the bullshit detector and and trusting your instincts. And it sounds like you need to be able to develop that ability to sense when something's good or bad and then figure out how to get good at making the good shit. But that sounds like an important part of the process, at least from what I'm seeing. Absolutely. That's really well said. I mean, I'm, I'm someone who never went to film school, never went to game school. I am entirely self-taught. So I don't recommend this path for everybody, but everything I know is from just watching movies, playing video games, something we all do already and, and developing taste. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, you know, my taste, I think, always gravitated toward things that were more more indie, more realistic, more gritty, more grounded, European, 
I always, if there was something that was um, mass market, I would move as fast away from it as possible. Hmm. I didn't want to ever follow something that everybody else was following. I always wanted to chart my own path and find things that no one else had found. Nice. And as a result, I think my bullshit detector for what is common and generic became really well-developed mm -hmm. so that when I see something that feels like something that everyone else has already done, I know it. And I don't want that. Right. I want to give something. I want to give people something that feels weird and unique. <laughs> nice. So we've come to the question that rests at the core of this whole concept, this whole podcast, what I'm doing here. And that is, in my opinion, there's a magical sacred space at the intersection mm -hmm. of game design, writing, fiction, novelists, all these things where everybody can just come together and hang out. What, in your opinion, is the common thread that holds all these people together? Hmm. I mean, isn't it the desire to be transported, to be taken out of the, the known world and shown something else, hmm. shown other possibilities? I think it's that, but then it's also, tell me more about this world. Show me more about this world that I don't know. Show me the, the world that exists outside of my bounds and the world I can only imagine outside of that. I think we all want to, to float away and escape and play. And I think story gives us a way to, to explore and be free and throw open the doors of perception about, you know, what the, the, the life that we live every day. Mm -hmm. Our lives are very much the same. And we all look for change and we want to see people change. We want to see stories of people changing. We want to see stories of people being challenged and growing because so much of life is either not challenging or we're not growing that when we see it and we, we, we understand what human life is capable of, it is both thrilling and terrifying and games and good stories let us immersively experience that kind of challenge and growth and change that the best lives and stories have. Yeah, that's perfect. That's so taking, taking what you just said there and the importance that that places on stories, what does that mean for the modern day storyteller and their role in society? Hmm. I will you know, touch on something I started talking about at the beginning, which is sort of this question about the meaning of life and, you know, what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the darkest nights of the soul I've experienced was kind of the period where I realized there was no meaning, that, that there is no great narrator in the sky. Mm. <laughs> there is no such thing as meaning or purpose or a reason that we're here mm -hmm. and what the fuck then what is this all about like why are we doing any of this if we're just you know you know bits of amoeba flesh you know brain matter that happen to gather and propagate and what the fuck is this all about right i will say that i think i came to a, an answer for me, at least, which is that we may not have an intrinsic meaning to life, 
Therefore, it is our responsibility as storytellers, especially, but as people for each other to give each other's lives meaning, mm-hmm. to tell each other stories that will give our lives meaning. I mean, that's what religion is. It's a story that gives our life meaning. Yep. And that's what so much of what we look for in life is meaning. Something that doesn't exist unless we make it for each other. Mm-hmm. So that's our job as storytellers. That's perfect. All righty. Um, we're getting close to the end here. I do like to do what I call the quick fire round because I'm so original. Um, <laughs> uh, first one is, what are you playing these days? Uh, I just started Cheers of the Kingdom, like everybody else this week. <laughs> yeah. Hard, hard not to. I love a good uh, exploration game, creativity game. I got my kids playing it with me. It's wonderful. Very cool. Um, My kids and I are playing the Stanley parable together. Hmm. Going back to that one. It is a, it is a deeply weird, deeply creative game that is all about uh, waking up into a weird dream with a narrator narrating your story, but you don't have to do what the narrator says. And as you go against the narrator, the narrator has to play catch up with you and you find yourself in a war with the narrator to make meaning of this game. And it is genius. And um, I've probably spoiled it too much already. I will say it's a game best going into knowing as little as possible. It's also very, very short and very cheap and you should definitely play it. It's on the list now. I'll tell you what, that's why I ask these questions. I want my own list. I've got this huge list. (laughs) What is your favorite game world? Video game, board game, doesn't matter. Control by Insomniac, I think. Cool. Is a fascinating um, mystery world um, that is about a, um, a, a government agency responsible for guarding and exploring the deep arcane secrets of the world. Hmm. And it takes place in a in an office building that is constantly shifting and changing and filled with weird creatures and and magic and it's such a great mix of like brutalist architecture um with um strange psycho psychotropic weirdness i'm sensing a theme here <laughs> strange games <laughs> that twist your mind I like any story that pulls the rug out from under you. Nice. I like I like worlds where the reality is established and then destroyed. That's cool. That's cool. Hey, sorry. What are you What are you reading right now? I see you like books. Dune. Never made my way all the way through Dune, so bit by bit, yeah. I want to finally finish it before the sequel comes out, so I can be surprised. Nice. Sorry, by so I can be surprised by the text, <laughs> not just see the movie. Yeah. yeah. And simultaneously reading uh, Neil Gaiman's first book, Neverwhere. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's one of my favorites of his work, actually. Yeah. yeah it's really good. Yeah. I'm halfway through, and Mr. Croup and Mr. Vandemar mm-hmm. are such wonderful oh, villains. Brilliant. And brilliant. I'm, I'm reading it with my son, my eight-year-old, reading it out loud to him every <laughs> night. And so I'm getting to do all the voices, all the British accents. Oh, wow. I've got I've got Richard as sort of a um, Harry Potter, sort of a grown up uh, grown up Harry Potter, oh. very very proper. <laughs> and then Mister Crope does this very high pitched, very evil voice. Wow. And Mister Vandermar <laughs> is just much more of a kind of a dumb cough uh, on the side. 
it's it's so much fun you uh you could do some voice acting there <laughs> yeah that's, that's sort of my dream job yeah oh there you go yes those two characters they get kind of dark for an eight-year-old they're terrifying but they're funny <laughs> that's... and that's sort of his sweet spot he loves scary and funny nice oh cool if you could sit down with any four people living or dead any time in history and play a game, video game, board game, tabletop, role-playing, whatever, who would those four people be and what would you play? Hmm. I mean, I would love to play D&D with Gary Gygax. With Gary Gygax, you know, go right to the source and um, maybe bring in Steve Jobs. Oh, that'd be cool. And uh, Nolan Bushnell, uh, the creator of Atari. And, oh, yeah. And um, four kind of minds that found ways to create worlds with technology of different kinds and yeah, yeah expand minds. That'd be fun. And create, create empires. <laughs> create empires. Of fun. Before we go, is there any uh, current projects you're working on or any, uh, any business stuff that you'd like to promote or talk about really quick? I'm working on a huge game right now that I cannot talk about, but I'm so <laughs> excited. I'm so excited to share it. I'm right in the middle of, you know, the the massive building of it. It's this huge AAA game. I'm working 70-hour weeks with oh. a staff of six writers and teams of animators who are making the cutscenes as fast as I can write them and then sending me the animatics to oh. give creative notes on and, and uh, edit. It's, um, it's a huge game that is something that people already love that is being made even better mm. and i cannot wait uh to share it it's hopefully going to come out within uh the year well i'm going to have you come back after it's out you know that right that sounds great i'd love to talk about it excellent okay well uh that is it in case you want people to find you where would they find you online uh my website is subverse.org subversive verse is a good way to remember it <laughs> nice. um, but it's subverse.org and I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter okay. uh, under my name I will have that in the show there'll be links in the show note as well so people can find you uh, and check out your narrative consulting enterprise and that's it this has been a lot of fun thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with me this has been fantastic yeah thank you so much it's been a wonderful conversation I love getting to go deep into ideas deep into craft deep into deeper ideas than just video games it's fantastic <sighs> well don't mind me while i go about putting up the chairs and wiping down the bar a huge thank you to joshua for such an intriguing conversation and thank you for stopping by and listening in as always if you enjoyed the conversation be sure to tell your friends leave a review and hit that plus five vorpal subscribe button I can't wait to share with you who will be here the next time you swing by the corner of story and game.